1 John uh, chapter 2, this week we're going to begin looking at this passage, then uh, I'm going to be, I'm on vacation uh, next week, and then we're doing the, the pulpit swap uh, the week after that, so Pastor Rich from Bethany Baptist will be here, and uh, then I'll, I'll be at Bethany Baptist that week, and then we'll come back to this passage in, in two weeks, Lord willing, so, or I guess that's technically three weeks, so we're, we're going to be back here in a, in a little bit. But we're going to start it this morning. Uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to read the whole passage, verses 18 through 27. This morning we're going to look at just, verse, just verses 18 through 20. So if you're able to, if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. 1 John uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 18 through 27. Children, John writes, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father, and this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. You may be seated. May God encourage you through his word. Let's pray. Father, now as we turn our attention to the the study of your word, we ask for continued joy in you. We would ask that you would cause us to find satisfaction in nothing else but you. The things that we are tempted to pursue, we pray that you would cause us to to not find joy in them apart from joy in you. We ask for those who are hurting this morning that you would strengthen them, encourage them, cause them to, to find comfort in you, and then Allow them to show others the comfort which they themselves have received in you. We pray for wisdom as we think about our lives and how to apply these things in our lives that you'll teach us. Lord, some of the things in this passage are, are very hard, to, hard to, to think about and hard to communicate. So I pray that you'd help me to communicate clearly this morning and for my heart to be receptive to your truth and for other hearts as well. We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen. Well, there is a lot here in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27, and I've just 
frankly, I've, I've been struggling with how exactly to communicate all that is in these verses and, and how to, to best tackle this. So uh, here's, as of right now, here's what my plan is. Here's, here's what I'd like to do. I want to first just kind of give us a, a big picture of what's taking place in verses 18 through 27. So big overview of what John is trying to teach us. Then, after we do that, we'll look a little bit more closely at verses 18 through 20 and, and see what John is beginning to tell us at that, that start of this, this longer passage. So, first of all, big picture. What is John trying to do here in verses 18 through 27? What John is doing is he's writing about antichrists. You say, what do you mean antichrists, Daniel? I thought there was one antichrist. And, and you're, you're right, there is a, a coming future antichrist. But John is writing first about antichrists and characteristics of them. The antichrist is, is one who's going to oppose the kingdom of God and its establishment through Jesus Christ, going to work to deceive and destroy. The spirit of the antichrist, John is going to tell us, is, is already at work in our world today. And... John is going to say, here are some characteristics of antichrists, of those even today who are working to undermine the establishment of God's kingdom, of, of God being glorified through the establishment of his kingdom with Jesus Christ as king. That's the antichrist, the spirit of the antichrists. Now, we're all from different, a lot of us are from different church backgrounds and, and cultures, and so I don't know what, what your experience is, but the church culture and the time period in which I grew up, the Antichrist was a very popular figure to talk about. I went to a lot of prophecy conferences and discussed prophecy in our churches, and the Antichrist was a, a, a figure that was very much in my, my consciousness as a young boy. There were movies in which the Antichrist would be portrayed, Christian movies. There'd be films and, and uh, cartoon, like little comic strips that I, that I, I don't know if maybe you guys ever saw those, that, you know, um, where he would, he would play a part, or, or fiction books that I would read, check out from the church library, and there, there'd be this figure that would turn out to be the Antichrist. And as a kid, I didn't really understand all that much about the Antichrist. But I kind of had a vague understanding of this mysterious, evil, powerful figure. And I, th I think I kind of had even a, a cartoonish type idea of this, this, this arch villain, you know. And uh, I can remember thinking about the Antichrist and being intrigued by this figure of the Antichrist for, for a couple reasons. One, I think, and maybe, I don't know if you had this experience as well, but I think that one of the intriguing elements of the Antichrist as a kid and listening to these prophecy conferences and stuff was the fact that no one knew who he was. There was this, this mystery, and, and as you thought about it, you realized it could be anyone. And, and generally, the, the prophecy conference would kind of talk about some people that could be the Antichrist, and it was never anyone you liked. You know, it was always like the the leader of the political party you didn't like, or some foreign leader that you didn't like that country. I mean, it was always someone bad, right? And, but you realized it could be anyone. It could be your neighbor. It, maybe it was my brother. I mean, there were, you didn't know who it was. And I had this image in my mind, I think, again, kind of this cartoonish, like, Scooby-Doo type thing where, where 
where you'd, you'd solve the mystery of who the Antichrist was, and the vice president would take off the mask, yes, I'm the Antichrist, and if it hadn't been for you meddlesome kids, I would have gotten away with it too, you know. I'd, that was kind of the image I had, and it's not a very biblical image, right? Um, I mean, one, it's, it's not biblical, because even if you, and that was kind of the cool thing, too, even if you find out, you, you've solved this mystery in the Bible, who the Antichrist is, then there's not a lot you can do about it, and He's going to do what he's going to do. In fact, I saw another, another kind of funny thing as a kid. There's a skit where uh, the, in, the, in the skit there, the, one evening service or something, it's kind of this humorous skit, and it was about a scientist. One of the little sketches was, was about a scientist who designed a computer to determine who the Antichrist was, some sort of calculation, takes all the prophetic elements and shoots out this reading of who the Antichrist is. So the scientist designs the computer, and the computer reveals who the Antichrist is. And it's him. (laughs) It's the scientist. And he's very disturbed by this. He's like, well, I guess there's nothing I can do. And, you know, once you find out who the Antichrist is, the point is, what what are you going to do about it? Not all of that is a very biblical understanding, right? (laughs) And what John is going to tell us in this passage is that, yes, there is an Antichrist coming, and it's not a, a cartoon-type figure. It's, it's a person who is truly powerful and, and evil and works deception to deceive and destroy the church, or not the, not the church, but, but the people in the world. And what John is saying is, yes, that's, that's future, that's going to happen, but what he's telling us here in verses 18 through 27 is that the Antichrist isn't just some future figure. The spirit of the Antichrist is already here. And the work of deceiving and destroying isn't some future work alone, Deception and destruction is taking place right now. Right now, there are forces at work in the world who do not want God to be glorified. They don't want God to be exalted through the proclamation of His Son, Jesus Christ. They do not want people to live lives that are in obedience to, to God and God's kingdom plan. And, and so those forces are not some future force that someday will oppose God, but, but right now the spirit of the Antichrist, the, the spirit of Antichrist is, is present in our 21st century culture. There is a desire to deceive, to destroy, to work to diminish the glory of God in the world. And for some of us, that's a very scary thing. And John wants to encourage us with the truth that even though the Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist is is a powerful thing, we are not helpless. We don't need to fear the spirit of Antichrists. We have something that he refers to as the anointing. We'll talk about what that means. 
that will allow us to remain, to abide in Christ. We're going to unpack that this morning and then again in a couple weeks. As John reveals to us kind of three characteristics of antichrists, of those who work to oppose the establishment of God's kingdom through King Jesus. We're going to see three characteristics this, this morning, and then again in a, a few weeks we'll look at the second and third characteristic. Now what's the first characteristic? That's what we're going to spend our time on this morning as we look at verses 18 through 20. And here's the thing. This first characteristic, you'd think, okay, well, a characteristic of the Antichrist, well, he'll, John's going to tell us he, he commits genocide or, or he's, he's a one who, who works evil. He, he does these, these terrible atrocities, and, and that's a characteristic of the Antichrist. He cheats on his income taxes. I mean, th- this guy's really bad, right? Well, here's the first thing that John tells us about Antichrist. The first characteristics, it, characteristic is Antichrists desert the church. Antichrists desert the church. Antichrists leave the fellowship of believers. And the main idea that we're going to see as we look at this idea, this first characteristic, the Antichrists desert the church, is that Christ's anointing ensures that you and I, that we who are believers, are going to remain in fellowship with other believers. Pastor Mike recommended a a book for me called Worship Matters. It's by a guy named Bob Coughlin. And Coughlin talks in the book a little bit about the 21st century church and where we find ourselves. And he he talks about the development of the worship leader, the worship leader in a a church. He says, you know, uh, the interesting thing is in the New Testament, you don't have an example of a a worship leader. You you look in vain and you don't find worship leader in the New Testament, but it's it's a a staple of our church today. And, And listen to what Coughlin writes, he's actually quoting a guy named Gordon MacDonald, and he writes this, for many young people choosing a church here in our 21st century, worship leaders have become a more important factor than preachers. Can you believe that? Mediocre preaching may be tolerated, here, here, but an inept worship leader can sink things fast. <laughs> now, why is that? Why is it that an a inept worship leader can, can sink a church fast? The reason is, I, I believe, because here in the 21st century, there are some obstacles we have to understanding what a church truly is and what it is supposed to be. I want to be I thought a lot about this this week, and I don't want to be uh, transparent and and, kind of careful what I say here, but I think it's hard for us to understand why John is so concerned here in 1 John that these antichrists have deserted the fellowship of believers. In the 21st century church, Sunday morning, we'll talk more about this as we go on this morning, Sunday morning has really become sometimes a little bit of a performance, right? A church, a church is not so much a family sometimes anymore, but a, a church 
A church is a commodity. It's, it's something you go to, to to get something. And so you come to a church on a Sunday morning and, and you hope that the worship leader picks the right songs and, and uses the right instruments and the preacher tells the right number of jokes and, and, and you know, holds his hands like this the right way. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, there's, there's a performance element because, because of a lot of things. And because that's our mindset, that's our paradigm of ch- church is this, this production on a Sunday morning, because that's our mindset, we think of it in consumer terms. I don't know about you, but whenever I go to a store like Target and I see some sort of product there on the shelves and I know that I can get the same product at Walmart, I don't feel a lot of loyalty to Target. I don't say, well, you know, Mr. Target, I, good guy, I don't want to take my business elsewhere. I know, I'll just spend a couple extra bucks here. No, I think, yeah, I'm out of here. Or if they don't, if the, if the if the customer representative doesn't treat me the right way, or the the, the cashier's kind of rude to me, I'm like, eh, I'm not going to shop here anymore. Walmart's just as good. I, I know some of you may disagree. Whatever. This is my illustration. I'm going to go somewhere else. I don't care. There's no there's no relationship there. If I find that I can get the same product on Amazon.com for even cheaper, there's, there's no relationship between me and a big box store. It, it doesn't matter. Now, now here's the point. Because we've begun to view church in, in this paradigm as, as kind of this, in this 21st century culture, it's, it's, it's part of the market, there's, there's no sense or there's, it's harder to grasp a sense that the church is not some product, not some commodity, not, not some store to go to and receive from, but, but the church, the church is a community of faith that has a common confession of proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord, and in that common confession, there is a relational element to where you and I are, we're not just a co-consumers of a product, you and I are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And so to abandon that fellowship is a big deal to John. And I think in, in our culture, it's, it's harder to understand that because of, of again, various reasons. And we're not going to go into all the things that have shaped the 21st century church. But I think it's important for us to, to, to wrap our minds around this idea. The church is a big deal. The church isn't some box store we go to, that the church is a relationship. And you and I have a divine relational obligation to each other. I have a divine relational obligation to you. You have a divine relational obligation to me. And to leave the church is a bad thing. It's a scary thing to think about leaving Christ's church, his assembly. And the good news is that the, the power of the Antichrists is not some sort of insurmountable power. Christ's anointing, and again, we'll talk more about what that means, Christ's anointing ensures that I can remain in fellowship with other believers. We'll unpack that as we, we go through 
these verses this morning. Well, let's look, first of all, at verse 18. And there's, there's three words that I want us to, to kind of think through as we think about remaining in fellowship and why this is a big deal. The, the first word that I want you to see is the word danger. The word danger. Look at verse 18. John says, children, it's, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So here's kind of his, his, his reasoning. Okay, children, we know it's the last hour. And then at the last hour, there's going to be this, this time where the Antichrist comes. But now we see many Antichrists have already come. The spirit of the Antichrist is already here. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. That's kind of his logical progression there. Now, now what do we know about Antichrist, the, the Antichrist who's coming at the, the end of the age. Well, really, I, I don't know if you realize this, but the word Antichrist, that term, only appears in 1 John and 2 John. It appears here in verse 18. It appears a little bit later in verse 22. He talks about this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. It occurs later in chapter 4, verse 3. He's talking about uh, the person who denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, it says that's the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and, and now is already in the world. And then in Second John, verse 7, much the same thing. He talks about a deceiver and the Antichrist, those who don't confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. That's the only time in all of Scripture that the term Antichrist is used. You say, well, that doesn't sound so bad. Well, there's other passages as well that describe the Antichrist but use some, some different language. So, for example, in the Old Testament, Daniel tells us about the Antichrist. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, for example, he talks about this Antichrist. It says, He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done." He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. And so there's this, this coming king who's going to have the power to exalt himself and to magnify himself. And that this is, he says, it shall be done. This is going to take place. Paul describes him in First Thessalon- or Second Thessalonians as the man of lawlessness. The man of lawlessness. Second uh, Thessalonians 2 verse 3. He says, uh, he's talking about, don't, don't worry, saying, well, I guess the day of the Lord has already come. He says, don't let anyone deceive you. That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And then he says in verse 5, don't you remember when I was with you, I, I, I told you all these things? And you read that verse, you're like, man, I wish I had been with Paul when he explained all these things. So I have a lot of questions about this. Verse 6, <coughs> excuse me, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. Uh, for, this, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. And then the lawlessness will, will be revealed 
whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So, there, yeah, there's this future Antichrist. He, he's coming. He's powerful. He's going to exalt himself. He's going to deceive people. He's going to work to diminish the glory of God. He's going to work to undermine as much as is possible in the power that God allows him to have to undermine the kingdom of God and, and, and not allow Christ for a moment in some hearts to receive the glory that is his due. John says, yeah, you've, you've heard that guy's coming. But, he says, that spirit, the, the Antichrist, those who oppose the kingdom of God are, are already here. It's already the last hour. The danger is not some future danger. The danger is, is a present danger. That phrase, the last hour, that John uses there in verse 18 is, is a very important phrase to understand. And here's what I believe. I believe that whenever we see the New Testament writers talking about the last hour, that they're talking about sometimes just generally this, this last period of time since Jesus Christ has come and, and until he'll return and permanently establish his kingdom. But sometimes they're also talking about this, this period of time right at the end, right at the end. So, for example, uh, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, as he des- or, sorry, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, as he's describing this, this last hour, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter- later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. 2 Timothy chapter 3 Paul talks about the last days, and, and listen to how he describes this, this last hour, and, and see if any of this sounds even kind of remotely familiar. Understand this, he says, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does any of that sound, that kind of, I, I, I know a guy like that, right? That's, that's the current cultural climate, I believe, in, in which we now reside. A lot of ink has been spilled trying to, to think, okay, uh, who is this future Antichrist? It's, it's been a, an object of speculation. I, I think I mentioned one time how I was at a prophecy conference, and there were these three guys up on the stage, and someone in the audience said, who's the Antichrist? And the first guy uh, gives this long-winded explanation and, and just get, you know, goes on and on and on and on, and kind of towards the end he goes, in fact, I know who the Antichrist is, but I'm not going to say. And then the next guy looks at the first guy and he goes, yeah, I have no idea. And then passes the mic on to the next guy. <laughs> but we love to speculate about it. You know? And there's kind of this, this mysterious element. I remember when I was in the mid-90s, I was in uh, Bosnia and in this, this war-torn village. It was in the middle, it was right at the end of the conflict. It was still this UN-declared war zone. And, and uh, we had, were meeting with these believers and there was, a, as we're talking about end-time events, there was a, an old man in the village. 
And the believer said, you need to meet this old man. Uh, we believe, and again, here's kind of this mystical element of it. We believe that this old man is going to remain alive until Christ returns and that, and that he will help us know who the Antichrist is or, or something like that. We go to this, this, this old man's home and we partake of the Lord's Supper together. And, and then as I, um, as, I, as I get up to leave, the old man grabs my arm and, and pulls me close to him and whispers in my ear the name of the Antichrist. But I'm not going to tell you. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. <laughs> he didn't do that. I did meet this old man. And, but my, my point is, we all, we, we all want to know, there's all this kind of, who's he going to be? And, and there, we, we, this mystical, you know what? We don't know. But that's not the real danger to us at this moment in time. The danger is not some future danger. The, the danger is right now, right now we are living in, in the last hour, the times in which the spirit of the Antichrist is, as it were, trying to convince us and convince other people not to live as God would tell us to live. My kids and I were talking about this in the car yesterday as we were talking about the Antichrist, and I realized, you know, we, we haven't talked that much about prophecy with them, and, and, um, and, and we talked about what, do, you know, what is the Antichrist going to do? And, you know, the Antichrist is not going to have lots of horns and, and, and try to just say, hey, let's, let's all do really bad things. The Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist says, hey, let's not live the way God tells us to live. Here's God's way, and the Antichrist isn't even this explicit, but we know here's God's way, and the spirit of the Antichrist says, hey, hey, I got an idea. Let's live this way. This is the way in which we can find joy, Okay. He's a deceiver, a denier that Jesus Christ is king. That's the danger. And the first danger, the first danger that John mentions to us, here's danger number one. Danger number one is that you could leave the church. You could remove yourself from fellowship with other believers. The second word that I want, that's the danger, number one. The second thing I want to do is, is explore that a little bit more. Here's the second word I want us to think about. It's the word remain. The word remain. Look at verse 19, if you would, with me, please. John says, they, and that's these, these deserters, they went out from us, but they were not of us. And what's his logic? How does he know that? For if they had been of us, if they had been, remember the whole book of 1 John is about fellowship, knowing you're in fellowship, knowing you're, you're in relation, right relationship with God and in right relationship with other believers. If they had been of us, if they had been, been part of our, our fellowship, they would have continued with us. Now, that word continued in the ESV, maybe you're reading another translation that says reside or remained with us, um, that's a really important word. As you go through 1 John, you're going to see words like abide, you're going to see continued, you're going to see remain. Those are all the same word in the original language in Greek. When John says abide, when he says continue, when he says remain, he, he's using the same word there. In other words, when he talks about you need to abide, we're going to talk more about this in a moment, or in a, in a few weeks. 
When he says abide, it's the same word. Continue, same word. Remain, that's all the same word. And these people who've left the church didn't continue. They didn't remain. They didn't abide. If they would have abided, it would have revealed that they were in right fellowship with God. But they didn't abide, therefore we know they aren't in right fellowship with God. As John is is thinking about the characteristics of the Antichrists, the first thing that he mentions is is, is the, the person who deserts the church and its teaching reveals something troubling about their spiritual condition. They have the spirit of the Antichrist destroying and deceiving believers about the nature of Christ. I believe that we have a very superficial understanding of the nature of the church and the nature of our commitment to one another. As you and I become Christians, what happens? We recognize that we're sinners, yes. And we recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, paid the penalty for our sins, and rose from the dead. And we need to believe in Jesus to, to be saved. I mean, that's, that's all true. And we're forgiven of our sins at that moment. That, that's true, right? But sometimes, again, in our individualistic culture, we, we kind of have the belief that that's all that happens. I become a Christian, so God forgives my sins. You know, that's, that's the gospel, right? Th- there's more. When I recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I, I trust in him as, as my Lord and as my Savior to deliver me from my sins and, and place myself under, under his lordship as I, as I become a Christian, my, it's not just that my sins are forgiven, although that is absolutely true. I also enter into a relationship not just with God, but also with all of you who are believers. You and I now become part of the same family. It's not that we are uh, just, just kind of Christians together. You and I are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Here's what Jonathan Lehman, Jonathan Lehman has written a, just a really interesting book, very powerful in parts that I've read of it. I haven't finished it yet. It's called The Church and the Surprising Offense of God's Love. Listen to what he writes as he talks about the church in our current climate. He says, the pragmatism that has reigned in American churches at least since the 20th century, since the advent of church growth thinking in the middle of the last century, has left our understanding of the church itself fairly doctrineless, principleless, structureless. It's almost as if the wind currents of pragmatism and the barometric pressure of postmodernism came together, creating the perfect storm, a storm that left a decimated ability to think seriously and freshly about the local church and its trail. Pragmatism and postmodernism, 
pragmatism, a belief that, hey, whatever works is what we got to do, postmodernism, a denial of truth, and the confidence in the truth, they come together, they create this perfect storm where we're unable to even think deeply about what the church is. Let me share with you just, again, I want to be transparent here. Um, Let me share with you a little bit of, of my vision for what I believe we should be as a church and, and just maybe obstacles to it. I believe that we, we have been called by God to be a church that proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord and, and prepares people to, to worship him forever. I believe that's what God has, has called us to do. And uh, as I kind of mentioned earlier, there is kind of this Sunday morning thing that happens at a church. And as our church grows, I want, I want us to do things well. I, I don't want us to just kind of stand up here on a Sunday morning. You know, uh, Phil and I were talking earlier this morning, and, and I was like, you know, you guys who do sound and and all the work. You guys just do such an amazing job keeping the distractions to a minimum, and I'm just so grateful for that. I think that's good, right? We want undistracted excellence in the things that we do. The danger, the danger is, is what we talked about earlier. The danger is that we can produce this, this performance. And as we produce this performance, we, we think that we don't think of ourselves as a family any longer. We, we think we're all kind of participants or observers in this, in this performance. And that's dangerous. Because the church is not a performance on a Sunday morning. The church is a group of, of, of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who have, who have come together, who come together, yes, on a, on a Sunday morning, but, but, but throughout the week as well, and, and the month, and, and, and uh, here's something else, you know, I got to be careful what I say, if someone stop me if I, if I say something I'm not supposed to here, but uh, sound guys, I'm trusting you again, but uh, this is good, this is okay. As our church has gotten older, in, in the first five years, I think there was just kind of an an acceptance, you know, there's going to be some weaknesses, and, and that's okay. But as our church gets older, our expectations for what we do and how we do it, and as we continue to grow in relationship together, it, the expectations increase. And what I hope happens in our church is an understanding, look, um, this is where we are today. And where we are today is not where we need to be ultimately. And so as we, as we encounter each other's weaknesses, and our weaknesses are displayed sometimes in certain ministries, our response is not to say, I wish this product was better. 
our response is, I'm so glad that I get to grow in relationship with these people in whom God is at work. You see, if this church is about a commodity, we can plug and play. You can leave and someone else can fill your spot. And, and by this church, I'm not just talking about, this is, this is true of all local churches. But if we're a family, then again, I have a divine, God-given culpability to serve and care for you with every fiber of my being. And you have a divine obligation from God to care and serve me and the person next to you and the person on the other side of the room, the person in first service, even the first service people. If you don't understand that, if we, if we don't get that paradigm in our, in our minds, what John is saying here doesn't make sense. Who cares about Walmart? Who cares about Target? Why is it such a big deal to leave Amazon? We're not some store. We are people whom God has brought into divine family relationship. And so what's happening here is a big deal. As people leave the fellowship of the local church, what's happening here is that they are making it obvious that they are denying the teaching of the church. They're saying, look, I know what the church teaches about fellowship. I deny that. You say, Daniel, you're saying it's always wrong to, to leave a local church. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying, and that's not the, the main point. I'm, I'm talking about the, the church the church as a whole, the, 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 the body of Christ, leaving the body of Christ. Now, an expression of being committed to the body of Christ means you're going to be committed to your local church, but that's, that's not the main thrust of what John is getting at here. It's a person leaving the church saying, I don't need the church, or I have a faulty understanding of the church. I'm denying that I'm in, united with Christ by the way that I'm treating my brothers and sisters in Christ. Failure to commit deeply and passionately, fervently to one another is never a sign of spiritual health. It's never a good sign. God's call on you is to remain to abide, to continue in relationship with each other. You say, Daniel, have you seen the person I'm sitting next to? How in the world can I continue in relationship with that person? I see some of you just kind of doing that. How can you do it? How, how can we remain in relationship with <laughs> the jerks we all are. Here's the third word. Anoint. Anoint. John says, okay, here's how they revealed they weren't of us because uh, they didn't stay with us, they didn't continue with us. Verse 20, but 
you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. We'll talk knowledge more in the coming weeks, but let's, let's just talk about this word anoint. Uh, you have been anointed by the Holy One. You, you, you have something special about you that allows you to remain. How are you going to be in fellowship with all these other uh, imperfect people we call Christians? The good news is you've been anointed. In the Old Testament, this, this word anointed meant to consecrate someone for a special purpose. So, for example, Exodus 29, Moses is told by God, you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head. He's talking about Aaron and his sons, and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put uh, coats on them, and you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them, and the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. So this, this anointing was consecrating Aaron and his sons for this special purpose. It came to mean, as you go through the Old Testament, a person receiving this, this special consecration by God and the Holy Spirit enabling them for a special task. So, for example, Isaiah 61 you see this spiritual anointing. Isaiah says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And so there's this, this anointing that's this, this divine, Spirit-enabled consecration for a special task. As you come to the New Testament, kind of that idea carries, carries uh, forth. There's this work of the Holy Spirit that takes place in the life of a person who is a believer, who becomes a believer. The Holy Spirit anoints them, consecrates them, sets them apart, seals them for a special purpose. So, for example, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, it's God, says Paul, who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us who's put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And so this is something that all Christians have, this anointing. Paul also calls it a baptism. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So there's this spiritual anointing that everyone in this room who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there's this anointing that every single one of you has received from the Holy One, he says here in 1 John. Who's the Holy One? That's, that's Jesus. John chapter 6 said to Jesus, we know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus in John 15, 26 says, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And so he says, look, uh, so here in, in 1 John, there's this, un, you're going to receive anoint, you, you've been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. How do you have that knowledge? Well, when you're anointed, Jesus Christ has, has sent the Holy Spirit on you. You have the Holy Spirit residing within you who allows you to have knowledge of who Jesus is. We're going to talk more about the knowledge you have. The person who has this knowledge, the person whom the Holy Spirit has worked within their hearts, has the ability to know who Jesus Christ is. They confess Jesus Christ, come in the flesh from the Father. They confess the miracle of the incarnation, that Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man. How can you continue in relationship with people 
who are as imperfect as you are. Not through your own strength, but because the Spirit resides within you. You've been anointed. You've received this special consecration from God. And now, because of this miraculous work within us, we've been brought not just into relationship with God, but into relationship with one another. The Antichrists that John is talking about, by way of contrast, weren't anointed. They don't all have this knowledge. They, these, these, these false teachers we've talked about before, believe they had this secret knowledge and, and they could know, know these secret things. But John says, you know, who cares? You guys have missed the most important knowledge to have, and that's who Jesus Christ is. This anointing happens through the work of Christ. Being in Christ is the key to remaining with other believers in all their glorious imperfections, right? What's the application? We're going to talk, we're going to keep on talking about characteristics of, of Antichrist. Antichrists are, are deserters. We see this morning, in the coming weeks, we're going to see that they are uh, deniers and they are deceivers. So they're deserters, they're deniers of Christ, and they're deceivers. We're going to get to all that. But it's very interesting, right, that he begins with this, this first characteristic that they, they desert the church. They desert the church. If you've received Christ, the Spirit of God resides within you. And you know, you know, that what God's Word is saying here this morning is true. You know that you have a calling by God to be in deep relationships with each other, to be committed to the people with whom you worship. And, and maybe there have been some reasons why you've said, I'm not doing this. Maybe you say, I'm kind of shy and it's hard for me to be in a relationship, or I've been burned in the past, or, you know, I... There's, there's all sorts of reasons we can give. I'm busy. God says, no. No, that, that, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. The spirit of Christ says, I'm in relationship with my brothers and sisters, and I desire even deeper relationship. I desire to serve. I desire to be committed to a desire to invest my life, my very life, for those whom I love imperfectly, but desire to love as Christ has loved me. I know that's true of you, for who, those of you who are believers. It's been my joy to, to see God, God work in, 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 his, in his body, and, and, and my prayer is that that love continues more and more. It's why we don't have to, to fear this, the shadowy figure of the Antichrist, right? We believe he's coming. We believe that's, that's a real force. We believe the force is already at work. The danger is already here. But we have confidence. Because of Christ's anointing, I will remain in fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray.